I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly delighted and full of joy to be, be here this morning, to be able to, to speak to you for a little while. I'm certainly happy that um, we had that opportunity to uh, be the church, that that's what the church should do, that we should be able to testify, and we should be able to pray for our brothers and our sisters in their time of needs and to encourage them. So I'd just like to start by saying, you can see there's probably a little something different on my garb this morning. Apparently, apparently since the last time I've spoken, I think Mark somewhere along the way called me a middle-aged man. And uh, for those of you that remember when Mark used me as an example of a middle-aged man, and uh, I didn't have glasses then, but now I have to have readers to be able to, to pick up the Bible and be able to see it. So that's one of those things that uh, we're going to have to get on Mark about for cursing me, having to put glasses on my eyeballs. But anyway, if you have your Bibles this morning... I would invite you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read a pretty good bit of scripture, so I want you to want you to hang in there with me, because the reason that I'm reading this scripture is we're kind of laying some groundwork um, for what is mentioned in the title. So you know that um, we are on this series of what are you looking at? So the title of the message today is Sabbath and the Wilderness. Now, I could have said Sabbath in the Wilderness, but I made sure that I said Sabbath and the Wilderness, being two different things that we're going to see depicted inside of the scripture that I'm about to read to you. Like I said, just hang in there for a minute as we read it, and I'll probably stop and and talk about a little bit of it as we go through it. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled and when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said their hearts always, note the key word, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath and they will never enter my place of rest. Now, for those of you that have a Bible that has little headings right there, some little thing beside it, you will notice that that scripture comes from Psalms 95. So that means that the Old Testament has been carried forward to the New Testament as a warning to us because it's talking about don't harden your hearts. So verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. So he's saying it again. So here's number two. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it that rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Kind of like us, we have the Holy Spirit and we're able to hear his voice. It said, wasn't it the people that Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned? Those whose corpses lay in the wilderness. 
And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? Now listen very carefully. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. So obviously, we're not speaking of a day. And, and, and most of you in here already understand that a Sabbath is not a day. Now, God established that because he was trying to teach his people something. But the Sabbath is not a day. It's not Saturday. It's not Sunday. Paul took care of that when he said, don't let people talk to you about festivals and certain days and things like that. So we're establishing something right now, Sabbath in the wilderness, and showing the correlation between those two. So I read on. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. God's promise, this is starting verse 1 of chapter 4. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Amen. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, just saw a video about that a while ago, that God has prepared his rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good. Those people in the wilderness, it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, number three, in my anger, I took an oath and they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Pay attention to that because I'm going to show you that in Psalms 95. We know it is ready because of the place in the scripture where it mentions the seventh day. So this is where God has established this thing that we look at sometimes as a day. But it's completely, I want you to understand that his Sabbath rest is completely outside of all time. It's eternal. It has nothing to do with anything that man can put his hands on. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news, so he must have been talking about the people who rebelled against him in the wilderness, they failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words when he said, number four, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Sounds like there's a common theme here about entering into God's rest. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, Joshua was the one that took them across into the promised land, then God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors. Now, As I said, when you flip over to Psalm 95, we're going to read verses 6 through 11. This is going to make a parallel to what was taken forward into the chapter in Hebrews about not hardening your heart. But I want to go up another step here because I want to make a a tie-in. Verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. 
So there's worship in it. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, our creator, for he is God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah. And as they did at Massa in the wilderness, which, by the way, is a place where God was working mighty miracles. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years, I was angry with them. And I said, they are a people whose hearts always are away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. Now, if you notice in verses 6 and 7, there is a reference to both God as our creator and also a reference to God as our shepherd. Okay, so we're, trying, we're going from here and we're moving on down. God creator, right? We're supposed to worship God the creator. And it also has a reference to him being a shepherd in the same verses that were carried forward into Hebrews about the ones who rebelled and hardened their hearts. Now, what do we know about a shepherd? A shepherd takes care of their flock. A shepherd makes sure that their flock is watered. A shepherd makes sure that their flock is fed. A shepherd makes sure that the wolves don't come in to the pasture to attack the sheep. Pretty simple concept that if he's saying he's the one that leads our flock... You know, I think about Psalms 23. I want you to get a picture of this for a minute when we start talking about God's rest. It said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want provision. We're going to talk about that. It says, he, le- he maketh. Now, I want you to hear the word maketh. But he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I don't know about you, but if you've ever read the book of Exodus and you've seen that story, that wilderness didn't look much like a green pasture, right? They were having to bust water out of rocks and they were having to scrounge up food because there wasn't nothing on the ground. But he says he leads you into green pastures. Now, I looked that word up, make, you lie down. And in the Hebrew, that word is talking about an animal lying prostrate on the ground with all four legs out like this, laying down on the green pasture. How many of you ever seen a dog lay down like that and they look like they're all cozy and comfortable and they're resting? Now the Bible says that God maketh me to do that. So you've got a choice. You can see it as rest or you can see it as the wilderness. Either way, God says it's a green pasture. It doesn't matter if it's barren. It doesn't matter if it doesn't have the things that you think it should have in it. God said it's a green pasture. So it boils down to this. So in referencing the exodus of God's people, God in his shepherding nature was showing his people these green pastures. Despite that wilderness that was in front of them, But those people were super stubborn. Right? Bible even says, Bible even says that they had a stiff neck and that they were prone to complaining and disobedience. Everybody's heard that story. 
Everybody knows they complained all the time. Bill preached about it several weeks ago. He was talking about how stiff-necked and stubborn, how they didn't want to move when God told them to move. It's like yanking a, an ox by the, by the collar and trying to pull it. Now, I, I, want you to, I want you to see these descriptive things because I want you to say we're not much different than that at times. That's how stubborn we can be and how disobedient we can be despite seeing that God was acting on their behalf. He did all these things, part of the sea. He gave them food from heaven. He gave them water out of a rock. He performed miracles for 40 years. And God said, they always turned away from me. So all of us, like I said, we're pretty, we're pretty familiar with their wanderings and God providing all their necessities for survival. And simply put, this is God's provision. Now, you right now sitting there, when I say that term, you are thinking about provision. Oh, I go to the grocery store and I get my food and I get my, my drinks and I get all my things and everything like that. But I want to propose to you that I want to look at it differently. That God was trying to do something entirely different in his definition of provision than what we probably think of provision being. When he did all of those things in the wilderness, right? I want you to think, you know, Bill brought up the manna story. And, and I want you to think about the things that were involved inside of that. When it said, Moses is like, well, these people saw this stuff on the ground. And they were like, well, I don't know what this is. They said, Moses, what are we supposed to do with this? And he says, you go out and you collect it. He said, and then the Bible said that some of them collected too much. And some of them collected just a little bit. And it said that no matter what, it was all the same. And God said, don't try to store any more of it. He said, because this will happen to it. It'll get maggots and it'll smell bad. And he said, no, yeah, by the way, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you enough food to last you the next day as well, because I want you to rest in it. And you realize that people still went out and tried to gather food. Now, the point in what I'm trying to tell you is, is that God with his people, and it's the same today, God is not trying to get us to work for his acceptance by telling us all those things. That's not what he was trying to do with his people. Because let me tell you, those people had no excuse either because they were the descendants of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means that they still knew the story. They still knew the God of the Hebrews. They still knew what he was capable of. So he wasn't trying to get them to work for his acceptance. He was trying to get them to trust him. So I want you to think about trust for a moment. If I told you to come to my office and you had never seen me before, and I was going to lay you down on the table and crack your neck, most of you would be a little tense, right? So if you hadn't built that relationship, would you really trust me? I said, would you trust my words if you've not seen me honor my words? I said, would you trust me if you had not spent time with me to know what my character was? Now you put that in perspective of what God was trying to show them in trusting him. God didn't have to do any of that stuff. But he was trying to teach his people to trust him. So I've come up with two words here. You heard me say provision. You've also heard me say trust. 
So somehow attached to God's rest, those two terms must exist. Provision and trust. Nothing about being in that wilderness was probably very easy, right? Because they had come from this and they had moved to this, right? And it didn't look the same, looked barren, didn't, didn't have the pots full of meat like Bill preached about from Exodus 16 that they didn't see. They had no vision of being able to see what God had for them down the road. Now, the funny part is, is they knew where they were going. I mean, after they crossed the Red Sea, God's like telling Moses, like, I got a land for you where you're going. It's flowing with milk and honey. They, so they knew, they, they had the knowledge of where they were heading, but they didn't have true provision and they didn't trust. So provision is certainly, now listen, Provision is certainly those physical needs. But if you think about things, didn't Jesus always meet the needs of the people too? Jesus met the needs of the people physically, but he also met their spiritual needs. So in God meeting the physical needs of the people, he was trying to teach them something about spiritual provision. I'm going to propose a definition for you for provision. Not going to be what you think it is. A statement within an agreement or a law, a statement within an an agreement or a law that a particular thing must happen or be done, especially before another can happen or be done. But you're like, wait a minute, Frankie, that sounds like I got to work for it. No, no. No, we, we have to understand that God says, if, then. So interestingly enough, not even three chapters later from Exodus 16, moving over to Exodus 19. You can reference it and look at it yourself. It said, after being given all the physical provision that they can handle, the food and the necessities, It says, God listed this particular provision that I'm talking about and said, quote, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then dot, dot, dot. He said, if you obey my covenant and keep my commandments, he said, then will this happen? He said, I will make you a holy people a nation of priests. And I'm going to give you the short version. This is what all the people of Israel said. Amen. They said, Lord, we will do what you tell us to do. Now, that's a funny story. It's not funny, but it's kind of interesting that pretty shortly after that, Moses disappeared up into this terrifying cloud with lightning popping all out of it that the people got to see. And they decided that he was gone too long, so they were going to go worship another idol. Now, they, they said, amen, we agree. We will do what you tell us to do. So then, obviously, we've also said provision. 
we've said trust, but it also must have something to do with obedience. Or I wouldn't have taken all of that time to read that scripture in Hebrews to where it says, don't harden your hearts. Because of their unbelief, they weren't able to enter his rest. So it kind of sounds like us when we say amen, right? It says, I hear you, Lord, and I will do what you say. I will obey you. We say it, but we don't do it. And in doing so, we fail to truly understand what God meant by provision and his true rest. Because disobedience, as we said earlier, does not enter into his rest. It doesn't. He said it three or four different times in a small little section of Scripture that because of their disobedience, they would never enter his rest. But let's break that word down a little bit more. Provision. Pro, okay, and vision. So we have the, the pro prefix for all you English majors. Pro means forward, forward, right, moving forward. And vision is the ability to see, but it's also the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. Last time I checked, the Holy Spirit living inside of us was providing that wisdom. He was providing, leading us into all truth. But Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says it, and people, you know this verse. But a lot of you know that it says, without vision, the people perish. Another version says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Well, apparently the people in the wilderness didn't have a lot of vision because they casted off their restraint. So somehow in our thinking in this grand scheme of things, we think that to enter God's rest, we get to be unrestrained. When the Bible says that when you have no revelation, you cast off your restraint. So that is the complete opposite of entering into God's rest. God is the one who restrains us as a shepherd, not casting off that vision. So guess what? The people in the wilderness knew exactly where they were heading. And you know exactly where you're heading. The Holy Spirit's already told you where you're going. That doesn't mean you know every detail of everything that happens in life. But he already told you where you were heading. We just choose to look at provision instead of provision. And what I mean by that is we're looking at the things that God can give to me rather than what God can do. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's where we have to change to be able to enter into true rest with a holy God. So, oh boy, here we go. Because most of you know that when I'm, when I'm preaching, I've had to go through something pretty significant. And typically it's after I've repented. And I've come up here on the stage that I can share it in some particular fashion that allows people to get something out of it. Because otherwise I would just be moping and puddling around so I want you to think that we've gone talking about all this stuff this provision this trust and I want you to see just how poorly I failed I failed because of disobedience and I want you to understand 
that I know what it means when the people cast off restraint. You feel like you're going crazy. You feel like your world's falling apart, right? You feel like things are out of control. So for those of you who don't know, I recently opened a business, a new business, January the 5th. But before that, I tried to literally cram a year's worth of work into four months. That's essentially what it looked like. I was trying to cram all this stuff. Now, no complaining. Not going to say anything about that. What I am going to tell you about is that I watched God part the Red Sea. I watched God pour manna from heaven. I watched God do all the things that he did for the Israelites in terms of my own personal life. So take my name out of the story, put your name into whatever situation you are going through in your life, and listen to what I'm telling you. When I first applied, this is I'm going to give you a couple things that God did. Applying for a Medicare provider number in the business that I'm in where I do physical therapy typically takes about 60 days. I got it back in nine. Okay, I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty awesome. In the midst of a pandemic, a terrible situation for the entire country, God provided enough funds to allow us to open up a business without going into debt. Number two, I watched God talk and stir the hearts of insurance companies when their networks were closed and they reopened their networks for us to be able to see their members. I could go on and on and on about God's provision. And then January 5th hit. Okay? So the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm telling you that term, that provision. What can God do for me? Because I can tell you what I did hear God say clearly. God said, Frankie, you go and take care of the people and I will take care of the rest. Right? How many times have we heard God say, go somewhere and we just stand still? So I said, he said, go take care of the people. I'll take care of the rest. Now, on January the 5th, it's like everything just fell apart. Every bit of it. It's like I get into the middle of this thing and we got errors coming back on computer systems. We got people not doing things and putting information in and insurances. I'm getting denied claims. I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting anything. And then I went, oh, the Lord said, go and take care of the people and I'll take care of the rest of it. And then I said, but God, didn't you also say it was going to look the same? He said, no, Frankie, I didn't ever say that. Are you sure, God, that you didn't say that it was going to look the same? Because apparently in my eyes, I wanted it to still look the same. And God's like, no, nah, Frankie, I never said that. So then we go one week into January, two weeks into January, three weeks into January, February. This is still fresh in my mind. Let me tell you, because I didn't repent until two weeks ago. And it got terrible. And there are people in here that can validate how terrible it got. When I tell you it was terrible... When I say provision, I was looking at a computer screen, and I'm a pretty, I'm not, this is not about puffing or pride. I'm saying, if I want to learn something, I'm going to teach myself how to do it. But I read everything that I could get my hands on about that stupid insurance stuff. 
and about how to make it work, about what it looked like from this point to this point to this point. And I want you to know that God blinded my eyeballs. Could not see it. Now, for all of you who understand that when you're in the healthcare field, the insurance is tied to your what? Let's all say it in unison. Provision. It was all tied to provision. So how much rest do you think I was doing in the Lord when God blinded me not to be able to even handle the part of provision because I'm like, well, Lord, you're just going to leave me out here to die. You led me over here to die in the wilderness. Now, how many times have you said that to God? When God told you to go do something or God said be obedient and you just died in the wilderness. He's like, you're killing me, Lord. I want you to understand I said that multiple times. Lord, why did you tell me? Did I hear you right? Did I hear you right? Now we talk about, I wasn't running around doing, I wasn't running around drinking and being drunk. I wasn't doing all these sins that you see listed out in the Bible or anything. But I'm here to tell you that it's just as significant that God was calling me to repentance as it would be for somebody putting, putting these lump group sin things in to where we go, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You know what the problem was? Is God had to remove the very thing from my eyeballs. So I would quit looking at the food and the water and I would start looking at the vision that he had moving forward in restraint. You cannot rest in God unless you have restraint and his restraint is in his laws and in his commands that you follow because of Jesus that otherwise you're falling out the bed you're not going to get any rest And, and I'm here to tell you that that's the case now you know what happened as soon as I said oh okay Lord I agree with you now I see what you're trying to do So I said, hey, it's okay if I don't make the same amount of money. Lord, it's okay if it doesn't look the same anymore. It's okay if I'm not as comfortable as I was. Do you know I turned the computer on and I could understand the insurance stuff? That That sounds like a really good God. That sounds like a really great shepherd. Now, don't hear what I'm saying. This is not me preaching a message about prosperity. Because God's prosperity is something entirely different than what we sit out here in the world and we think about. But I can tell you there wasn't a whole lot of rest going on for me. There wasn't a whole lot of rest at all. I had a good friend look at me in the middle of that. And he said, from the outside looking in, how many times have people said that? Well, from the outside looking in, it doesn't, I just can't see what you're struggling for. Because they can, they have a vision. They can see what God is doing. Why can't we see it in our own lives when we got the same Holy Spirit that's living in there? So I want to propose something. What my friend said was, from the outside looking in, I would like to propose it this way from the inside looking out because if I'm standing outside of this 
And my friend who has rest in the Lord because he's been through the same stuff looks back at me and says, well, from the inside, looking out at you, God's working mighty. You're going to be okay. God's going to take care of this. Quit focusing on this and focus on that. And here's how I want us to look at this for a minute about this. The reason I I took us into Hebrews and I looked at the obedience part is I don't know how many of you have ever read the book of Exodus and you went to the book chapter 19, chapter 20. But there is a depiction of God coming to speak to his people. And and Moses, God gets up, Moses goes up on the mountain and God comes and he talks to him and he says, go and clean, tell the people to clean their clothes. He said, go and consecrate them. He said, because I'm going to come down the mountain. He said, and I'm going to talk to them. Not you. He said, I'm going to talk to them. And so they had to go through this process. They had to be clean, had to do all this stuff. And then God said, oh yeah, by the way, I want you to draw a line around the mountain. A line around the mountain. And said, if anything comes near that line, they will surely have to die. He said, if an animal goes across that boundary, he said, you better not touch that animal. He said, you'll die too. Now that's, that's pretty terrifying. They put a boundary around Mount Sinai so the people could not go up to it. But then God said, until you hear the loud blow of the ram's horn which was the shofar. For those of you who know what a shofar is. So you can imagine it going, blowing this big loud thing, and the people go, oh, I I think Moses told us we can go in the presence of God now. Did you realize that the shofar on the Day of Atonement was representative of repentance? So now I'm at another term. You don't enter God's rest unless you repent. There's no way. But I want you to get this vision right now of God. The people come to the edge of the mountain because now they can approach the mountain because they blew the ram's horn. And they're sitting there and this pillar of smoke is sitting on top of this mountain and fire coming out the top of it. And the people said they were terrified. Terrified. I mean, this is a, a vision of God. They're terrified. And he's coming down and we're talking about, well, I just want to rest. I just want to curl up in the bed, Right. This is a vision that you have to grasp the concept of. There was lightning popping. There was thunder coming out of it. There were earthquakes on the mountain. And God thundered his response. And he said, Frankie, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt You shall have no other gods before me. And and I'm trying to attribute that statement to rest. I'm like, whew, that's pretty tough. But that's what God did is he thundered those commands to the people from the mountain. And you know what the first thing the people said was? After all that was over with, they said, Moses, they said, please don't let God speak to us or we will surely die. Can you see why they were a rebellious people? The first thing they did, instead of staying in the presence of God, is said, don't let God speak to us because we will surely die. Now, I'm here to tell you, without Christ, you would surely die. 
you would surely die. Without question, you would surely die. But I also think there's a principle behind that boundary. Isn't it funny that as we get close to that boundary, God was talking about how those dead things can't really come into God's rest. Right? They couldn't enter his presence with the boundary around the mountain. So shouldn't we want our dead things to be left behind? Isn't it important to know that death helps us to realize the idols that are in our life? Think about that for a minute. I'm not talking about a physical death here. I'm talking about death. Those things that God says cannot enter my presence. But how many times do we say, well, I'm okay, Frankie. I got Jesus. I got Jesus in my heart. But yet we fail to recognize that image of God on the mountain demanding and commanding that only in Christ are you allowed to cross that boundary. It's the same God that thundered his response from the mountain and in Christ. So somewhere in there for us to be able to want to enter this rest that Christ has fulfilled, we have to realize that the character and the nature of God has never changed. Just because we have Christ doesn't mean somehow we're exempt from obedience. We are not exempt from obedience. You try to cross that boundary without doing it in the rest that Christ died for, and that part of you that has to die will die. It will die because it will not stand in that kind of holiness. So what I'm here to tell you is we have to be very serious about our view of God. And we have to be very serious about what Christ did and how important that was for us to even be able to come in the presence of God to have the rest that God created for us. So after 40 years, right? 40 years is that time frame when they roll around the wilderness. So after 40 years, those people, the ones who the next generation were able to enter in to God's rest as a foreshadowing for you. Now the part I want you to understand is that Behind them in the wilderness, there were corpses strode all over the place. For us, that means that we better leave some corpses behind if we want to enter into the rest that God has for us. We have to understand that that is what is required of us. God is a if then. We're obedient to Christ and we understand that his laws and the things that he helps us fulfill are to build our trust in this God. 
then we can enter into the rest that he has for us. And I want you to understand that in Leviticus 16, that's where we talk about the day of atonement, is that Christ fulfilled that day. And in that chapter, when it talks about the day of atonement, it says it was a complete day of rest. It meant you did absolutely nothing. You did not even eat food on that day because it was the highest of holy days. It said that the priest was the one that did purification for you. So understand that to enter into rest and to be on the inside looking out, right? I changed that. Not the outside looking in, to be on the inside looking out because I'm not sure about you. I imagine it was pretty terrifying being on the outside looking up that mountain. But I would rather be inside of that cloud and that pillar of fire looking out than I would be looking in. That is true rest. That is following a true shepherd. So to close it up, No one said, as I said earlier, that that wilderness would be easy. There are things in your life that you're going to go through, and they may last a long time. You might lose a loved one. But I bet you in the midst of losing it, if it's anything other than grieving, God will show you, He will show you that thing that needs to die, what you held on to. It might be your job. It might be God told you to leave a job and go to another job could be a number of things everybody's going through something everybody's got a wilderness you just choose yeah you have to choose here's the issue is that you have to make a choice to look at it as a sabbath rather than looking at it as a wilderness the sabbath is a green pasture it's always a green pasture because you have to realize that god has good for you if you belong to him And that you can trust him because he doesn't change. So ultimately it boils down to us trusting a God who is capable of anything. And you have to realize that you're in a daily battle. So when I say in closing that they were disobedient always and they didn't get to enter his rest. You have to understand that that is not something that you do once in entering Christ. It is something that becomes a lifetime of movement for you in entering that place of rest. Because he's going to make you come to the boundary to kill off those things. And you're going to think you got it right. And then he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. But isn't that the beauty of Jesus inside of us? That we can go to the one who allows us to stand before a holy God. So Father, we thank you today. That even now you're working in the midst, Father, that you are talking. Father, that you are putting pieces together. Father, that you're revealing to people those areas in their lives that need your rest. That, Father, that it completely gets turned upside down as to what that is. And that they understand 
that it's about trust. That no matter what our life looks like and our circumstances look like, Father, it is about trusting you for everything in our lives. And that ultimately it's about looking like your son. Not about what you can give us. Not about where we've been, but where we're going. In Jesus' name, amen.